Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the San Jose Mercury News. During our conversation, we broke down Golden State's options in the draft and put in our two cents on what we think the Warriors should do. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Uh, feels like it's been a while. It's probably only been a few weeks, but um, you know, I've been on vacation. I was in lovely Vermont. I know you're, you're out in Florida working remotely, mm-hmm. um, but we have a two-part uh, partner pod. Um, the first episode, which we are doing right now, We'll center on the draft and we'll kind of put our GM hats on and figure out what are the options facing the Warriors and what would be their best path going forward in the draft. And then later, you and I are going to record a pod for Locked On Warriors looking at uh, what makes sense given what they're going to do in the draft, what they should do in free agency. And so, um, you know, I know you and I like like to put on our GM hat every once in a while. I like to pretend we're Bob Myers. Uh, it's been, we've had more than enough time to do that and think about that uh, this off season. Um, but the draft is still almost, you know, six weeks away, which is crazy to think about. Um, what was your first thought when you saw that the Warriors got the number two pick? Best case scenario for them, right? I mean, you could argue that having the number one pick would be a better option. And look, I probably would have said that had they gotten the number one pick, but thinking it through with the number two pick, you don't get as much pressure. Um, It seemed like Bob Myers was actually pretty relieved when we were talking to him on the reporters conference call about not having the number one pick. It just, uh, nobody, everybody remembers when you blow the number one pick, right? But nobody really cares when you take Jabari Parker number two and it doesn't pan out. Right. So I, I think there's, there's less pressure here. Not that Bob Myers necessarily has a lot of pressure on his job, but it also, it, it kind of forces Minnesota to dictate the terms of engagement as far as the draft is concerned. If you're the Warriors now, you can sort of play off of the team that's picking at number one. But you're also, you're picking high enough, too, where you're not at the mercy of all these other teams. And you still are in the driver's seat somewhat. There's opportunities to trade down. You're very flexible. And I think the name of the game for the Warriors over this last year or so after, after Kevin Durant left was, all right, maintain as much flexibility as possible. And the number two pick gives that to them. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a glass half full way to look at it. Um, I I, <laughs> I mean, look, but no, you would point this out all the time too that they had a better chance of getting the fifth overall pick versus the one or the two pick, and so like they kind of beat the odds by getting the number two pick. Yeah, completely. I, I get that. Um, but uh, the I would much rather in this draft personally have the number one pick um, because. I, I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but the more I look at it, the more I look at the other options, I think Anthony Edwards is exactly what the Warriors need right now. I think he checks all the boxes in terms of what they're looking for, and I'm not sure anyone else in this draft does. Um, so I want to start this out. We're going to look at every single option the Warriors have, and one big question that we need to get at before we get into that is, do does Minnesota take – Anthony Edwards at number one, and if not, who do they take, and how would that affect the Warriors? I think a lot of the mock drafts that I've been looking at are slotting in Anthony Edwards at number one and James Wiseman at number two, and it seems to be like this fashionable thing that's going like in every mock draft. It's Anthony Edwards to the Timberwolves, James Wiseman to the Warriors, because if you just look at their positional needs, that makes sense, right? Like the 
the Timberwolves have a point guard of the future in D'Angelo Russell. They have their big man in, in Carl Anthony Towns. So go get the wing, go get the best wing out there. That's Anthony Edwards. And if you're the Warriors, you know, you've got your other four, your core four as Bob Myers likes to call it. Just go draft Wiseman, make it a core five and plug them in at center. But when, then when you kind of dive deeper into what these teams need and what they certainly don't need, I'm not sure either of those players make sense for the top two teams in this draft. Uh, I am terrified of putting I – mean, look, I, am, I agree with you about Anthony Edwards. I think he would be a perfect fit for Golden State uh, if he falls there to number two. But uh, for the Timberwolves, granted he plays the wing for them. One thing, that stood out, one thing that stood out to me in watching film on Edwards is just his absolute lack of energy on the defensive end. And I think you could fix that in Golden State. I'm not as concerned about that there. But I am very concerned about that if he's in Minnesota – being led by D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, who are the poster children for lack of energy on defense, right? Like none of those guys are going to be the Draymond Green of Minnesota and get some, get a rookie to play defense. And so I do wonder if Ryan Saunders and the group there in Minnesota looks at that and says, you know what? There's too much risk there. We just did the Andrew Wiggins experiment. It didn't work. Uh, maybe they go in another direction and not necessarily draft for need. And it wouldn't surprise me if they, like so many other teams, have a guy like LaMelo Ball, number one. And I actually, and that's one of those things where LaMelo Ball doesn't look like a great fit for Minnesota. But the more I think about it, the more I like the fit there. Because D'Angelo Russell is a point guard. LaMelo Ball is a point guard. But D'Angelo Russell's their only playmaker. And if the whole idea of that offense is to get the ball to Carl Anthony Towns, I think you use as many playmakers as possible. And if you put LaMelo there with D'Angelo Russell, Maybe that could work. I mean, you, you could do a lot worse than having multiple playmakers on the court if you're trying to juice up your offense and be one of the top five offenses in the league, which seems to be their strategy. So maybe they do go LaMelo. Or, uh, and then I guess the other option would be to trade back, and, and rumors are that they're as willing as the Warriors to trade back. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of reports saying that they're high on LaMelo. Um, it's hard to say, like, how much that of that is kind of a smokescreen. Um, but – I, I don't like the fit at all, uh, LaMelo in, in Minnesota. I, I don't necessarily trust the decision-making of that organization, to be honest with you. I wouldn't be shocked if they did take LaMelo, even though I, I, I think they have an obvious selection in Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards fits what they're trying to do really well. Yes, I understand the concerns about defense, but he has potential to be an above-average defender in the NBA. He just needs to be coached up. Which, he can like be an said, elite defender in the NBA. I'm not confident Minnesota can do that, given what we've seen out of their right. defense. But um, I think he's a great selection for them at number one. And then Lamelo, like he's he, I'm not sure he can coexist with D'Angelo. Uh, I think he needs the ball in his hands. Uh, he's obviously not great defensively either. That would be like the worst defensive backcourt in the NBA. Um, you'd probably play LaMelo off the ball, which I think he can do. But the reason you'd be taking LaMelo number one is because of his playmaking ability and what he does with the ball in his hand. So it's like you, then, then you'd be putting him in a situation where he can't maximize that. So that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of reasons not to take LaMelo ball. I think if you're Minnesota, you re it really comes down to you draft, do you draft your best player available on your board, even if it's LaMelo. Or do you draft maybe the cleanest fit, which is probably Anthony Edwards. Neither of us are talking about James Wiseman. I think that's obvious, um, even though he is one of these other consensus top three guys. But you're not drafting him if you've got Towns, although I think you could make the argument that you just play Towns at the four 
Wiseman at the five and try to do this twin towers thing, but they tried that before. It hasn't worked. And I don't think they're going to do that again. So um, yeah, I think it's probably LaMelo ball or Edwards. And if they go ball, then I think the decision is really easy for the Warriors at number two, you just take Edwards and move on with your off season. But if they take Edwards at number one, then I think things get a lot more complicated for Golden State. I definitely, I definitely do too. Um, I think the, it would be a dream scenario for the Warriors if if Minnesota doesn't take Edwards, and I think their their day is pretty easy. Of course, they'll still shop that around, even if they can get Edwards, see what the market value is for him. Mm-hmm. But I think they'd be totally fine taking Edwards and calling it a day. But uh, I'm spending a lot of time, and I'm sure you are too, just looking at all the possibilities, assuming that Edwards is not available. Because I would probably put it at like above 80% chance Minnesota takes Anthony Edwards. Um, or whoever they trade the pick to takes Anthony Edwards. Uh, So let's say Edwards is off the table. What do you think the Warriors should do? You're Bob Myers here. Obviously, the the three obvious paths are you use the pick and you just take someone at number two and keep the pick. You trade back in the draft and try to package that um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe get another asset while taking someone later in the draft, or you just completely trade out out of the draft, potentially trying to uh, get an all-star level guy. Yeah, I have my questions about whether or not that all-star level guy, um, who is at least young enough to be an all-star level guy for you know a couple more years, um, is out there. So let's just assume that they're going to use this pick. And I think ultimately that's what's going to happen here. That just seems like the most likely scenario. Uh, I've got three guys I'm looking at here at number two. I've got um, Denny Avia, Tyrese Halliburton, and Devin Vassell. And if it's, it's one of those three guys. And I think with Denny, you can make the argument that you just take him at number two. It might be considered a reach by some, especially with LaMelo and Wiseman still on the board there, but I think you can get away with it. I make this argument before. If, if we are all under, if we all kind of understand that Edwards and LaMelo and Wiseman are your consensus top three. And, uh, but that, you know, granted that those three players are all flawed, right? Like, Wiseman, we have very serious concerns about, you know, his development and, and whether or not he can play in a modern NBA and all these things and whether or not that jump shooter is for real, which, by the way, it's not. Um, and then with LaMelo, there's obviously the concerns we just talked about on the defensive end. He can't shoot. The guy's got like a 28% effective field goal percentage or something like that. Like the guy's never been good at scoring and he can't score from anywhere on the court, not even at the rim. And then with Anthony Edwards, you've got the defensive issues. You've got the, the shot selection and the poor efficiency from uh, like mid-range to three-point area. So there's all – like all these guys are flawed, though we, we have them in our top three because they have such high ceilings. But then I look at Denny and I'm like, okay, he's flawed, no doubt. But if that jump shot hits, which is his major flaw, if that jump shot hits, then he's got as high a ceiling as anybody else we're talking about, I think, in this draft. And so I think, you know, if the consensus top three are those guys, why don't we have Denny – in that group. It just doesn't make sense to me. We're not thinking of him in that way. And he's still proven he's, he's done stuff uh, out there in Israel. So um, I would probably go Denny at number two, but um, I'd be very, very open as Bob Myers here to try to trade back with an Atlanta or Chicago or something like that to get to like the four or six spot. And, and then maybe be in position to take Tyrese Halliburton or Devin Vassell, whose floors might be still higher than Denny's. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, you know, it's interesting you didn't mention you didn't mention Wiseman there. Um, and I know a lot of people are gonna be confused by that because a lot of people are, are literally assuming uh, 
the Warriors are going to take him. And you and I have both said and written many times that we don't expect that to happen. Um, I I think that there's just too many questions with Wiseman uh, at the number two spot. If we're talking mid lottery, mid to late lottery, sure, yeah, I'll take him. But I just I, I the sample size was so small. There are questions about his motor. There's questions about his mechanics. There's questions about a lot of things. And um, to me, he has a lot of kind of trademark signs of guys that end up being disappointments. And I'm not saying he's going to not be a factor in the NBA. I just could see him being more of just like a solid rotation player rather than Mm -hmm. an all-star caliber player. And when you're talking about the number two pick in the draft, you're looking for someone who can be an all-star face of the franchise guy. So I actually agree with you. I think those those three names that you mentioned are are probably the guys they're looking hardest at at that spot. Um, Vassal is interesting because he's he's great defensively. I think he's arguably the best on-ball defender in this draft. It's probably between him and Okuro. Um, but he's a great defender, really efficient shooter, like the perfect three and D guy in the NBA. Um, my question with him is I don't think he can create his own shot. And when you're talking about the number two pick in the draft, you ideally are looking for someone who can be a playmaker who can create his own shot and build his own offense. And I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. Um, I think he's going to end up being a really, really good high level role guy in the NBA, but I just, I don't think it's worth rolling the dice on someone like that at number two. Yeah, I, this is where you and I disagree with the Vassal evaluation. And look, that's just going to happen. But, you know, I, watching the film, uh, you're right. It doesn't happen often. His, his job is pretty much, hey, sit, stand above the break, make three-pointers, and be the best defender on the team. And you mentioned he's the best. He, it's him and Okoro as the two best on-ball defenders in the draft. But to me, he's also the, easily the best team defender in the draft, which we know, like Florida State executes a switching scheme that will – fit perfectly within golden state. Like to me, he's a guy who within the context of the warriors can walk in and take what was a bottom five defense and make it immediately better. Even as a rookie, I I think he's got that sort of defensive talent. And then obviously he could stay on the floor because he's a great three point shooter. Unlike a Coro where that, that shot is shaky. So if you're just looking for a guy who can get on the court and develop, then he's your guy. I think if you're the warriors um, and I actually do think that he has a little bit, he shows flashes of being able to create his own shot. Look, he's got a really high release. It's a little LaMarcus Aldridge-y um, with, with, his, with his height and all those things where he's going to be able to shoot above defenders. He, he showed uh, flashes of being able to get in the mid-range and, you know, take two dribbles and pull up. It's not crazy, right? He's not executing pick and rolls. He's not snaking pick and rolls. He's not, he's not you know, facilitating offense. But if you give him the ball as your second or third option, um, he can attack a closeout and make some stuff happen. And that's a good starting spot, right? Like that's already better than say a Robert Covington, right? Who just, who can't really dribble in a straight line. Like he can at least do that. Um, and when you at least have that as a foundation, you can progress from there. And I guess it just comes down to the Warriors evaluation, whether or not they think that his ceiling could be something like an all-star caliber player from that, from that point. Um, but so I like Vassal, but he's not even the guy that I like, I, I like Halliburton more than him. I was a guy that Halliburton, I would take him at two, honestly. And I know like people are all over the place on Halliburton. They have him as high as where I have him. And it was, you know, end of lottery type guy. But I look at him. He doesn't have this crazy athleticism. He doesn't have this crazy vertical. 
but man, is he crafty and he just makes stuff happen. And you watch games and he just, he looks like an NBA player at Iowa state. He looks like an NBA player playing for a college team. He just knows what to do. And I think of him, I look back at, and I look at a guy like shy Gilgis Alexander for Oklahoma city. He's not a crazy athlete, right? He is kind of thin. He doesn't have like this great body size and all this stuff. But dude just makes stuff happen. He's got good footwork. He knows what to do with the ball in his hands. And he's just a stud, right? He's just a professional. And I look at Halliburton, I'm like, look, sometimes we just, we tie ceiling to vertical and 40 time and being 220 pounds yeah. and built like Anthony Edwards. But I don't think that is what. It's not, it's not, it's we're not, talking yeah. about a 23 year old here. This guy has. No, this is not Obi Toppin. No, he did a lot. I mean, he went into Iowa State as a relatively overlooked recruit, like a low three-star guy and immediately cracked the starting lineup of a very good Iowa State team. Um, And then, you know, his sophomore year before he got injured was the guy on a team that wasn't great. Uh, But the thing about him that I like is that I I don't see many glaring holes in his game. You know, there's – he's good at everything. Um, He can pass. He can play multiple positions. He can defend. He's really efficient. I know a lot of people complain about his – the mechanics on his shot, but the guy shot well over 50. It goes in. You know. Goes in. That's what matters, right? And I think that that'll translate to the NBA. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. Would you take take Shea Gilgis-Alexander number two in this draft as currently constructed? Oh, if they could trade for Shea gilgis uh, Alexander at number two. You would take him, right? Do that for sure. Um, I think how I do. I think Halliburton is almost a carbon copy of him. Wow, that's high praise. Um, I honestly, I really like Denny. Um, Denny might be my favorite player in this draft, not counting Anthony Edwards. Um, I've spent a lot of time watching film of him, researching him, watching interviews of him, and. Um, I think that a lot of people who, who talk about his ceiling, I don't think give him enough credit. Um, I've heard he's going to be like a potentially just a better version of Dario Sarek. And I don't, I think that's insulting, honestly. I think he's going to be more like a Danilo Gallinari type, um, maybe even a little better than Danilo Gallinari. That's, that's really, I, I don't see him being Luca. And I know he's gotten comparisons to Luca. That's ridiculous. Um, I think it's ridiculous to compare anyone to Luca, who's a generational talent. But um, I do think he can be a Danilo type. And he's uh, just so skilled for his position. And keep in mind, he did things he, de- he did things at his age that no one this side of Luka Doncic has done. And I think mm-hmm. that cannot be discounted. You know, it is what he did. I know a lot of people make a big deal of the fact that he didn't average a lot of points in the Euro League this year. Well, he was MVP of the Israeli League, which is not a bad league. And if you look at the dynamic of that team, he wasn't getting big minutes in the Euro League because he had like proven former NBA players in front of him. And in Europe, just generally speaking, the coaches tend to lean toward the proven commodities. So, yes, sorry he didn't beat out, like, Amari Stoudemire and Tyler Dorsey and, you know, Tarek Black and these guys who had NBA careers. 
I don't think it means he's any less talented than a lot of those guys. I think if you look at the film, I think he probably could have played big minutes in the early league and held his own. I think it was just more of a situation and what the coaches preference was but the fact that he was getting meaningful minutes at all in the Euro League on a team that was in a championship hunt a team that was one of the best Euro League teams that is a huge huge uh accomplishment at 19 years old right and people I think who are listening to this might say well Denny shot like 29 percent from three or something like that and he's never been a good free throw shooter in his career he shot much better in his, the Israeli His percentages league. are not good, though, right. right? And so – and and Lamellos aren't good either, even though Lamellos are far worse than Denny's. But then you just watch – just watch them shoot. You just said you watched all this film. His shot is so much better looking. His mechanics are good. Like, it just doesn't go in a lot. But I trust in that shot coming along more than I trust in Lamellos. And so you've got this guy like Denny and this guy like Lamello who – you know, Denny's a little bit taller and certainly bigger – uh, but they're like these long, tall playmaking guys, right? Denny's basketball feel and, and basketball IQ and playmaking is an instant fit in most NBA offenses. And if the shot can come along, well, then now you've really got something there. Um, I trust it. I also trust in Denny's ability. Like he's a good finisher at the rim. He can finish with both hands. So um, like I said, the knock against LaMelo to me was that, okay, you, he's only good with the ball in his hands, but he can't really score from anywhere. Right. Like he's not even good at the rim. And Denny's at least got that. He's got a sweet spot. And and you've got that. And I think, look, my concern with him is defensively is I think he's going to be better than expected um, at some point on defense. I think there's just too much of a, a bias against these European guys on that end of the court. But, you know, he's got a 6'9 wingspan as it's measured. If he, if he comes in at the draft combine, whenever that happens, and that ends up being like 6'11", that, that kind of changes it for him. But if it's still at six nine, I'm not sure he could play like small ball four or five for you, but he can at least slot into the three. And and offensively, I think what his ceiling is is just high level secondary playmaker, right? Where sort of like the best version of Paul George is playing off of a guy and then running pick and roll and playmaking off of like an already moving defense. I could see Denny doing that at a really really high level and scoring a bunch of points that way too, and could be an All Star level player that way. He might not be, he might not ever be your number one guy, but he could be a really high, uh, I think he could be a, a, a number three guy for sure. And maybe even a number two guy. And yeah. An, an and and people guy. say, you know, well, could he play right away? Yes, he could. Um, yes. He, he has more experience with a high level of basketball than anyone else in this draft. And yes, he's, and he's, and he's also on the younger end. So you have the upside mixed with the experience. Um, and he's versatile, and like you said, he can be a really solid secondary ball handler, and hey, the Warriors need that. Uh, I think he can kind of help fill that void at backup point guard a little bit um, when they need him to. He can initiate the offense. He can do all those things, and he does things in games that are LaMelo-esque in terms of just like the the behind-the-back pass off off a dime mid-game on his way to a basket, on his way to the basket. and that's not even like to me that's all that's the main thing Lamella brings and Denny can bring a lot more than that um so I personally think assuming that Anthony Edwards is not available the Warriors should zero in on a guy like Denny now the question is all three of the guys we just named could very well be available later in the lottery okay Mm -hmm. so if that's the case 
do the Warriors try to trade back and still get one of these three guys and try to get another asset while they're doing it? Or do you just, you know what, say, you know what, I like this guy. I don't care if he's a quote-unquote reach. I'm taking him at number two because I like him and I'm not going to mess around because we don't, it's such a fluid draft. You don't actually know what's going to happen. And you could trade down to six thinking you're going to get uh, like a Devin Vassell there and he's not there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lean that way. I, I was on, you know, we did a Warriors HQ with uh, Dieter Kurtenbach last week and the whole show was about, we just, it was he and I arguing about whether or not we're going to, whether or not the Warriors should trade out of that number two pick. And it is so easy to just say, absolutely trade out of number two. If somebody wants to move up from Lamelo or Wiseman, why wouldn't you do that? But then you look at how that would work. I mean, who's going to move up? Is Charlotte going to move up one spot? Probably not. They know, they know Golden State doesn't want any of their guys. Does Chicago move up? Maybe. Does Cleveland move up? Probably not. Um, I think they're very happy with just taking a guy at five. Isaac Okora will probably be there at five. That seems to be the guy that they like. There are reports that they're really into James Wiseman. I don't know that they're so into him, especially now having acquired Andre Drummond, that they want to move up to that number two level. And then Atlanta at number six. The only way I really see them moving up is if Anthony Edwards is on the board there at number two, right? And they try to keep the Georgia guy home and they take him because he fits exactly what they need. But if Anthony Edwards is there, Golden State probably just takes Anthony Edwards and doesn't bother trading with Atlanta. Then there's other teams like Detroit at seven and New York at eight, who as far down as they are, are going to have to move a significant amount to get up. But I don't know about you, but my Twitter mentions are blown up with, hey, why don't the Warriors trade back with the Knicks for the number eight pick and Mitchell Robinson? The Knicks aren't trading Mitchell Robinson to move up to two. That's not, they love Mitchell Robinson. I don't know why people think that. If you're Detroit, I don't know what you have to move up from seven to number two. It's going to take more than just you know, future first round picks and stuff like that. So you start looking at what the trade would actually look like. Now, does Chicago say, you know what, we'll package number four and Tomas Sadoransky to move up to number two? I don't know, maybe, but if you're going state, is that worth it? No, it's not. Because like you said, it's a fluid draft. And I think at some point you just say, no, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the headache that I'm going to, and, and the sweat that I'm going to ha- be having over the next two or three picks. Let me just take the guy like, and move on. And I think, Connor, I already just sort of see this happening where you and I are writing on draft night and the Warriors come up to number two, Anthony Edwards is off the board and they reach, quote unquote, for a Tyrese Halliburton or a Denny Avia or Devin Vassell or something like that. And you and I's Twitter mentions blow up. And then for the next week, we're explaining why the Warriors had to do what they did. I already see that in our future. Yeah. And I'm pretty confident that that's another reason why I agree with you that I I don't think it's as likely that a a big, a big trade is going to happen on draft night as a lot of people are assuming is because the way, if you look at it and ultimately what the Warriors want to do is they want to get another all-star in his prime, hopefully superstar caliber player, like a Giannis, like a Joel Embiid, Mm -hmm. that type of player to pair with their, their aging core. Um, And that's not going to happen on draft night. It's not. It's just not going to happen on draft night. They're going to have to be patient for something like that to happen. And as I wrote a few days ago, I think it's more. It's the most realistic scenario is for them to take someone at number two who they are confident can come in and be a factor from day one because that player is not only going to be proving himself to the Warriors, but he's going to be proving himself to other teams as a potential mm-hmm. trade ship. So let's say they draft a Denny, they play him 25 or so minutes a night. 
you know, next season and he holds his own and does really well and he's only 19 years old, then he's a huge trade chip to put along with, you know, the top three protected pick next year for Minnesota. Uh, you, know, you can throw in like a Eric Pascal. Um, you can throw in a, a Kevon Looney if he's healthy. You can do whatever you need. You can throw in the Andrew Wiggins contract. Match, yeah. you know, throw in as many first-round picks as you have to to go after like an Embiid, who I think is probably the most realistic superstar they could get that would make sense. Um, there's also Giannis, which is probably less realistic. But um, to me, you do that at the trade deadline next year based off what right. the situation is go- going on with Philly. Because Philly's probably going to give it another try. And if it doesn't work, then they're going to blow it up. So right. um, I think this pick is really important. And the, the thing, the thing too, is if they're trying to, if they're going to get a player like that now or that caliber of player, just to make the salaries work, they would have to include Andrew Wiggins. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that makes sense for a couple of reasons. A, his market value is non-existent throughout the league. He's still, is considered toxic by a lot of teams and he's considered to have the worst contract in the league. B, I actually think he can help the Warriors and the Warriors like him probably than more than most teams would. And he can be their answer at small forward. So assuming you can't include him in a deal, you have to wait till the trade deadline to dangle the salary of whoever you pick up with the TPE this, this summer. So if you pick up or this mm-hmm. fall, I guess, so if you pick up like a Rudy Gay or something on 14 and a half million a year, then that's an aspiring contract that can be palatable or enticing to a team that is trying to rebuild. Absolutely. I mean, you take like, take Rudy Gay's 14, $15 million contract, combine that with the nine or $10 million contract that's attached with the number two pick and an Eric Pascal or, a, or even a Kavon Looney contract, you put those three things together. That's a max salary without having to move Wiggins um, and to your point too, if there's a trade that's going to happen involving this guy, the Warriors you acquire with this draft pick, it's probably not happening this fall. It's probably happening at the trade deadline. And if you get to that point of the trade deadline, you might have built up Andrew Wiggins's value, right? At that point, if he starts looking like he's something else with the Warriors. So um, there's a lot of reasons why I agree with you. I don't think if you're looking for a strategy on draft night, it's not trading that player if you're holding out for Giannis or Joel Embiid or something like that the other option too is you know there you maybe you could do something where you're trying to get a Drew Holiday or a Bradley Beal or stuff like that but all indications even there are that those teams aren't moving off of those guys on draft night either so even those lesser stars right like I don't think those guys are on the table either so uh you take the guy here I've I've heard the idea of well if you're going to trade this guy anyway why not take LaMelo Ball or James Wiseman, this, these, these consensus guys, because that keeps more options open for you because they have higher ceilings, presumably. But you can't do that if you're the Warriors. You have to take a player who you think can be good for you. And if you're stuck with this guy, then you're stuck with him. And if a trade materializes somewhere down the road, he's probably going to be a part of it. Right. Um, and, and, and this isn't going to be really a deal. Look, the Warriors, situation. Yeah. They, no. The thing with D'Angelo Russell is they always knew that regardless of what happened, that Minnesota would want him. They always knew that Minnesota would do whatever they needed to do to get him, and that was always like a nice safety net for the Warriors. Um, whereas it, when you're talking about a draft prospect, you know, that's, that's, that's just not going to be the case. You need, you need someone who you can potentially try to build around if, if, if the, there's not a market there. The, the, one, the biggest thing that 
any general manager in the NBA wants is they want flexibility. They want, right. they want assets so that they have options. And Warriors right. have done a good job in the past six months or so building some assets to give them some long-term flexibility. This number two pick, ultimately that's how the Warriors view it, is another asset that they can either keep or parlay into something. But like we've said, mm-hmm. they're not going to parlay it probably before the draft or on draft night. Um, and when you're talking about potential trades that could they could do on draft night for like a higher profile guy, and I know one name that's mentioned a lot is like John Collins from Atlanta. Is that really worth it? No, and I just I just did a whole podcast. It's funny on John Collins and why it's not. Is Collins a good player? Yeah. Would he fit with the Warriors? Sure. But are you really going to use the Every, are you really going to use this number two pick to go get a guy who's probably not going to be able to be on the floor for you in a closing lineup, right? Because John Collins is a 40, or is a 40% three-point shooter, sure. He could finish with awesome dunks and all these things, but he can't really defend the five because he's not big enough, and he can't really de- defend the four because he's not fast, quick enough. And if you're Golden State and you want to put this death lineup out there with Draymond Green at center, you can't do it with only two plus defenders and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. And by the way, we're not even really sure what Clay Thompson is going to look like coming off of the surgery. So that what made the death lineup work in the past was that you had Andre Iguodala and Harrison Barnes and then Kevin Durant and these guys who were elite defenders or at least plus defenders. So you're going to go from four plus defenders in an average defense to basically only two in Clay Thompson, Draymond Green in the closing lineup, that's not going to work. So are you going to take this number two pick and invest it in a guy who's not going to be able to be on the floor for you at the end of games? I don't think so. Right. And so, yeah, John Collins isn't worth it. And by the way, the Hawks aren't doing that. So I don't even know why that's even an option. I don't know. It's like the Marcus Smart idea. It's like, yeah, just package it and move it. With yeah. Go get Boston's labor. Why would, why would the Celtics ever? Every option has been floated out there. I'm like, that doesn't make sense for that team. And it doesn't make sense for the Warriors. <laughs> like. Why would the Celtics trade their best defender and like their Draymond Green to the Warriors as a, like if, if the Celtics think they're going to the NBA finals this year and next year, like why would they ever give one of their best players to another team that could be realistically in the finals? It doesn't make any sense to me. Even if Marcus Smart were available, the Celtics aren't trading them to the Warriors. That doesn't make any sense. Even for the number two pick, why would they want the number two pick? Their, their championship window is right now. So for the same logic, you think the Warriors should trade out a number two, why would the Celtics ever move up to number two? So like when Warriors fans listening to this, when you start coming up with your awesome trades on the trade machine and all these ideas, please ask yourself a very simple question. Why would the other team do this? And it's not as much as that player makes lots of money. That's not a good enough reason. Right. Because teams that are, have their championship window are willing to pay money, just like the Warriors. The Warriors are not the only team in the league with money. And, and the reality is this is a draft where the top guys in the draft, there's not that much separation from them talent-wise. No. So why would you – if you're, like, Cleveland, why would you mortgage your future and, like, add another draft pick or two just to move up a few spots when you can get a guy at number five who you probably really like? You know, there's going to be guys right. drafted in the mid-lottery who are going to probably have just as good, if not better, careers than, you know, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman. Uh, if you're the Cavs, you're, the price to move up from five to two or three or something isn't Darius Garland or Colin Sexton or something like that, right? It's, it's going to be somebody like Chetty Osman. And if you're the Warriors, is it worth moving down from two to five to acquire Chetty Osman? Uh, Chetty Osman's a nice player. Don't get me wrong, but it's not worth it. That's not worth it. 
Um, one trade I do want to float at you, and I keep thinking about, you know, if the Warriors are going to move back, because I still think ultimately it could be an option if the right deal materializes. If you're the Knicks and LaMelo Ball sitting there at two, and you're the Knicks and you're sitting there at eight, they've got all those picks that came over from Dallas in the Kristaps Porzingis trade, right? They've got those two future first-round picks. They've got their own pick here at number eight. They've got their own future first-rounders. And they've got some interesting salaries, like a Wayne Ellington at $8 million um, and things like that. Todd Gibson at, at $9 million. Do you, do you kind of put together a package that's basically, hey, we're going to move up from eight to number two, and we're going to give you the Warriors like two future, like all of Dallas's future first round picks or, or some of our future first round uh, picks protected for whatever. Like if it meant getting even more first round picks in the future, would you do that after the Warriors? Because that's also a, pr- a pretty steep drop. I know it's one thing to go from two to five. It's another thing to go to from two to eight. Cause now we're in the range where I don't even know if Tyrese Halliburton or Devin Vassell are even there anymore. I think they could probably get someone at, at eight that they would like, even if it was like Sadiq Bay, who we right. know they really like out of Villanova. Uh, which a lot of people would consider a reach at eight, but they could probably almost definitely get him there. Um, I think that's something that you have to take a hard look at because uh, that's a team that's not going to be good for a while, probably. And if they're, if they're depends on what the protections are, are on future picks, but um, you know, if they're offering you like a top five protected first round pick in the, in the next year or two, that's a huge asset, you know? And you know, assets are everything when you're talking about a GM's job. So um, I think if that it would depend on what kind of assets they were offering. But if it was something like that, I think you have to give it a hard look and I would potentially do it because I do think that in this draft, you can get value at eight. I do think you can get good value at eight. Um, And I think you can get a guy who can come in and be a, a helpful rotation player. I think there's a lot of good players in this draft. I just don't think there are a lot of like elite players in this draft. Yeah. And if you, if you're the Warriors and you have an opportunity to add more first round picks and get more bites at the apple or just have all these picks and end up in a Boston Celtics situation from a few years ago where you're just, you've got all this stuff and it's just whether or not, you know, you put it all together in a trade package. If you're Bob Myers, it's not a bad place to be. No, no, it's, it's not. And uh, you know, I think, I actually think they're in a great spot going forward. You know, you're, you're welcoming back to perennial all-stars, faces of the franchise. You know, you have several more years probably to maximize their primes. And then you have good young guys that you were able to develop, develop last year, Eric Paschal, Jordan Poole, those types of guys um, who are going to help you with your depth. Um, if they can have a successful offseason, this could be, you know, a really good team for another three or four years at least. So. I'm glad you bring that up because that's what we're going to talk about in part two. Yes, yes. So that is that is my uh, prelude to uh, what will be part two over on uh, Warriors. Uh, sorry, Locked On Warriors with Wes. Wes, thank you so much for joining me on Warriors Aquar. I think we did a really good uh, job breaking that down. And I think we pretty much predicted everything. So we don't even need to watch the draft. We all know they're going to take video number oh. two and sit on it and we're good. Yep, then trade him for Embiid one day. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. It's always fun chatting Warriors with him. 